welcome back to Garbage Film. This is the show that seeks to prove that arty and trashy movies have a lot in common. You don't need to enjoy just one or the other. So we'll take this week's movie and pair it with something artier or trashier and hope that you discover an unexpected new favorite or at the very least get some entertainment. We are continuing our month with no name. It's February Western Month. Uh, I remain one of your hosts, Nick, and with me, the the Wade to my Van Heflin. Oh, uh, nice. <laughs> and Aww. my co-host and partner, Aaron. <laughs> I'm Wade. Hi, Nick. Hi. And if you don't know what that means, then uh, we got tuned. a movie for you. This yeah. Week. yeah. <laughs> I hope that you start the every episode with Well Howdy from now on, regardless of whether we're doing a Western. Well, that's, this, that's what this month is all about. That's true. I just mean forever. Oh, forever? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no. I'm going to become the howdy guy. Uh, howdy. Some sort of howdy duty. <laughs> You're really selling westerns right now, I gotta yes. say. <laughs> the dorkiest thing on the planet? Uh, no, but true. Aaron's That's right. so Van Heflin of you. <laughs> and Aaron's right. It is of western in time, and it is very Heflin of me, mm-hmm. because this week we are talking about the classic revisionist western, 310 to Yuma. There is a lonely train called the 310 to Yuma. Hey, Dan. Dan, don't make it hard on yourself. All you gotta do is drop that gun on the bed and let me walk out this door. Wait, listen. Are you sure that no one would ever know? Hey, what time is it now? What time do you figure it is, Dan? About 2.40? You see, Dan, everybody wants to live. And that means Butterfield, too. He'll walk out on you, Dan. No, he won't. He'll stick, I can tell. He's human. At five minutes to three, Butterfield is going to walk out on you, Dan, and he's going to leave you all alone. Now, what do you figure you're going to die for? Choo-choo. Motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah, this is a great Western for so many reasons. The plot is about a train. Yep. It's about a train schedule. Yeah. <laughs> the most stressful thing in the Old West was, is the fucking train going to get here? <laughs> That's, I I relate to that yeah. personally, as yeah. someone who came from a city that does not understand public transit or that it should exist. Guess which city we're talking about. <laughs> Looking at you, Calgary. <laughs> Uh, 310 to Yuma, you, this is of course describing, as I mentioned, a train schedule. Yes, uh, which I didn't actually know when no. I, I thought it was like three hours and ten minutes to Yuma, like yeah. it, they, they've got to travel the distance or something, and then I watched it and I was like, oh, the 310, going to Yuma. <laughs> yep. This is a, a very charming title to have, I like it. Uh, we are talking about the original, not the recent-ish remake. Right. Uh, so we're talking 1957, 310 to Yuma. I just want to let you know also that the recent remake came out 15 years ago. Recent means I was alive. That's what I'm <laughs> oh, going Oh, okay. With. All yeah. right. In the history of cinema as an art form. Yeah. Fairly recent. Okay. All I right, am but enough. a blip. Oh, um. It's good to have that perspective. <laughs> uh, the original was directed by Delmer Daves with a screenplay by a man named Halsted Wells, which is a great Western writing <laughs> Everyone name. sounds like they're in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and it's based on a short story, 310 to Yuma, uh, which was written by the Dickens of Detroit, Elmore Leonard. Heyo! I came across that nickname for him, and I think it's great. 
I didn't know you had that nickname, and I'm going to say that forever now. I have this thing where, like, I recognize the name. I've never really yeah. known Elmore Leonard. So if you're like me and you're like, who the hell's that? He's the guy who wrote uh, what Justified, the TV show Justified, is all based on his stories. Yeah, he's a hugely popular author yeah. for, like, adaptations to screen. Get Shorty, Jackie Brown, Out of Sight. Uh, if you're into the, like, a big Western head like us, The Tall T is one of his two. Yes. Um, but apparently, he, like, he's mostly known for his crime stories, but he was mostly prolific writing Westerns. So huh. I'm glad that we can talk about him this month. This is for you, Elmore. And a howdy to you, Elmore. A howdy doody, Mr. Leonard. Uh, this movie stars a very small cast. This is a very small mm. movie. Mm-hmm. We've got Glenn Ford, uh, Van Heflin that I've mentioned so many times. I forget his actual character's name, but uh, <laughs> Van Heflin stands out. And Felicia Farr, who's, that's a good, that right. that's a good 50s actress name. That totally is, yeah. That can't be her real name, right? Probably not. Okay. Like, I'd be amazed if this was any of their names. Yeah. <laughs> Van Heflin is such a, well, no, that's probably. His first name is Van? Yes, like I know, Beep? I know, yes. Okay. The Beep Van. I know, I keep, I, I've read about him at varying times in the past, and I'm like, what's his, but what's his, no, I'm looking at the whole name right yeah. now, right. <laughs> like, where's yes. the first name? Yes. <laughs> Abraham, Abraham Von Helsing. <laughs> Abraham Van Heflin. No, it's Abraham <laughs> Von Heflin. Uh, it's on, it's been recorded. Oh no, oh no, oh no. Moving we did right along. research. <laughs> yes, please continue. I'm going to move fast my embarrassment uh, and talk about the plot of this year movie. Do recommend, this is one of those that like, if you feel like Westerns don't hold up or anything like that, this is one that I feel like does hold up. It feels like, to yeah. me, it feels like you're watching a, a stage play adaptation, kind of. It's got totally. that Totally, to yes. Yeah, yeah, it feels like it could be a, it's it's kind of a bottle episode for all yeah. intents and purposes. You Pretty could better. you could stage it, yes, yeah. on stage. So it's I think it's worth the watch. And another one, I always tap this because I feel like it makes it easier. It's like a 90-minute one. It's nice and easy to, to sit down <laughs> and <true>. take in. <laughs> yes. So let's talk about it. This is taking place in the Arizona territory of the 1880s. Not Arizona yet, because that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, the struggling rancher, Dan Evans. That's Van Dan Heflin's. Evans. I knew it was like an extremely normal name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and his uh, Dan Evans and his two sons witness a gang led by notorious outlaw Ben Wade rob a stagecoach. Uh, when the stagecoach driver manages to overpower one of the robbers, Wade calmly shoots both the driver and his man dead. So For fucking up the plan. Yep. Yeah, that's how you can tell he's not a great guy. No. There you go. Um, the uh, the robbers go to a saloon in Bisbee, which is a cute name for a town, <laughs> for some drinks. Uh, meanwhile, Evans and his sons alert the town marshal of the robbery and the murders. A posse gets assembled to take Wade down, uh, who doesn't think he's been discovered. Uh, so he instructs his men to ride across the border to safety until he can rejoin them, mostly so that he can uh, make a kissy face with uh, a bar tender. A local barmaid, yeah. yes. Yeah, so... This is such a like, self-confident thing to do. Oh, like, God. I'm going to sleep with this person. You all go on without me. Don't worry. The police will not catch me. He's very oh, charming. He is. He is. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there, his posse takes off, and the good posse with the sheriff uh, meets up with Dan and the stagecoach company's representative, Mr. Butterfield. <laughs> who accompany the lawmen uh, as they head to the saloon. And throughout this, we're given a real, like, Dan is a really whiny, kind of disliked guy. He's real, like, well, I shouldn't have to. I don't don't want to. It's none of my business. His sons are, like, making fun of him for rolling over in front of the the 
bandits. Yeah. Which is funny too because it's very like those those sons have been reading like the pulpy paperbacks yeah, of right. like the men of the old west and and Dan has a point. He's not gonna what, it's a stagecoach. They yeah. have insurance. Who gives a fuck, right? But he's not gonna step in and endanger himself and his family yeah. to like help this stagecoach or whatever. It's He's it's a, a practical, pragmatic outlook. Yes, he is. You don't yeah. often get. <laughs> He's so worried all the time. Yes, yeah. very worried face. Um, mm-hmm. So the law posse heads to the saloon to take down uh, Wade, where uh, Wade's loyal bar- bodyguard and right-hand man, Charlie Prince... Hmm. Forgotten his his name, but he's just the blonde one. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's Dan enter the saloon when he claims to have business with Wade. Uh, while that outlaw is distracted, the marshal arrives and arrests Wade. Charlie is shot in the hand, but escapes to retrieve the rest of the gang. And that's just our like setup. <laughs> nice setup. Now we've got like the gang knows that. Yes, the gang knows the 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 pieces are set. Essentially, like, are they gonna? Is is Ben gonna make it out? Yeah. So with all of this in mind, the law posse sets to like, okay, now what the hell do we do? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody is terrified of this gang and Ben Wade, who's just being kind of smarmy and grinny. He's unconcerned. This is a very like notorious gang, right? Yeah. This is a like the lawmen know him by name kind of thing. Yeah. And this is like, I feel like they do a good job of setting up. This is a tie, a, a period where the posse and gangs way outnumber all of the law. Like, even if all the law came together, they can't can't do anything. Yeah, it's the 1880s. Like, either most of your fighting men are dead or addicted to opium (laughs) or, like, trying to ranch, like, trying to settle down instead of, like, you know, do shoot-em-ups in the the city center or whatever. Like, all towns are three buildings facing each other. There's really... It's hard to to be a law person. Yeah. So they center in on a plan where uh, they'll do the old the old switcheroo, the old bait and switch. Yes. Uh, the marshal gets two volunteers to escort Wade to to Contention City, which I always find funny is a real name of a place. That oh, is was. it? Oh, yeah. Uh, but it's just what happened there. Wild. Well, there's a lot of contention about it. Uh, <laughs> Very contentious. They'll catch a train there, the titular three ten to Yuma, nice. uh, where he will be held uh, for trial in Yuma. Where there's a big old jail. That's what it is. You hear Yuma a lot in westerns or in, you know, yeah, there's the big jail. That's where most, (laughs) you're most likely to be able to put a person who's committed a crime. Yep. Uh, The stagecoach owner, Butterfield, I guess out of spite mostly, offers to pay $200 to any volunteer. And that's a lot of money back now. Yes. Especially for Dan, whose (laughs) crops are like... There's been a drought, like they they haven't been doing well several years in a row, the family yeah. farm. If He's he has this cattle, close. then they're like cartoon skeleton you cattle. You can play a, a xylophone yeah. tune on their ribs. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so he's he's desperate. So uh, Dan volunteers and a man named Alex Potter volunteers, and we'll be spending most of our journey with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so meanwhile, the marshal has a man pretending to be Wade placed on a stagecoach leaving town that evening, going in the opposite direction, hoping to mislead Wade's men and uh, buy Dan and Potter some time. Um, yeah, to make it to Contention City without being overrun by this terrifying game. And uh, so they have to... Um, they need to stay overnight at, uh, at Dan's place, right. where <laughs> Wade is just really... Nice to Alice Evans, uh, Dan's yeah. wife, and it's just this is where we get the thing that I love about this movie, which is the like, 
yeah, he's a bad dude, but it's a bad dude of circumstance who's very charming. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, this is sort of a, a very, like, nebulous area where you're like, he has good manners and mm-hmm. he he's interested in Ellis as a person and you can tell that she's just like been so focused on survival this whole time that she's like, Oh, a human connection. I remember that. Whoa. (laughs) And like he, he impresses the kids. It's very like, I'm your dad now. Oh my God. Yeah. Dan is like watching his own funeral, like watching his wife get remarried (laughs) in front of his eyes. Like it's not happening, but it is happening. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, it's good stuff. So after they stay the night to let the uh, decoy get away, mm. uh, Dan, Potter, uh, and Wade all take off to Contention City. Man, I cannot say that place. <laughs> it's very I, contentious it's, pronunciation. Yeah, I wasn't going to say it. But <laughs> I'm, I'm glad here you for did. you. Thank you. Uh, and here we get uh, Dan and Wade in a hotel room for the majority of our runtime. Or at least it feels like that to me because goddamn is that shit it's tense. so... Yeah, it's very stressful to watch. Yeah. Yeah, so Wade tries various strategies to bribe Dan into letting him go, but uh, Dan's refusal gives Wade that old, like, hey, I respect you, buddy. You're, you're yeah, really, oh, like... you're sticking to your guns. You're okay. literally the only person I've ever met who has stuck to their guns. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah he can't mm. intimidate Dan. He can't really... He can't bribe him. He's like, huh... I am not sure what to do about yeah, this. I guess we'll just hang and become best I friends. It really is like, ah, you. Yeah. Like, he gets a real, like, okay, well, I mean, if I have to be trapped in this hotel room, just waiting, like, waiting out the clock, essentially, for this train to arrive before the, the gang gets here. Like, I guess it's cool that it's with you. Yeah. I like that. He starts, like, teasing him and needling him yeah. in a way where if they were friends, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's a good thing. But since yeah. they're enemies, it's just like, oh, my Stop God. Stop it. Gonna... Stop it. <laughs> and a lot of this this scene or this, you know, set piece is is you know, Dan gonna take the bait and mm. lose his shit and and Ben's gonna overpower him or something, you know. And you can see it almost happen so many times yeah. where that could become really stale, but it just it works so good for me. I love it so much. It's really good. He tries a lot of techniques, like he's he tries to annoy him into like <laughs> making a mistake or like bribe him, reason with him and appeal to his better nature at a certain point, just like, oh yeah. Which is a- hilarious. Yeah. yeah, like, come on dude, you're a good man. You have a family, let me go. Like, <laughs> what? You shot a guy. You shot two guys. And uh, one of the reasons they're holed up here is because the local sheriff and all of his deputies are out of town. So they're literally, like, it's called the 310 to Yuma because they get to town in the morning and they just have to sit and fucking wait. Yes, they just have to wait to see who cracks first or if the gang is going to reach them before the train gets there. Um, So Butterfield uh, actually contributes, though, and hires some local gunmen to uh, help guard. That's true. Which is, you know, it's doing something. Uh, and meanwhile, the slain stagecoach driver's brother, remember him? He died at the beginning. The driver, uh, <laughs> the driver, not the brother. Right, okay. Uh, so his brother, Bob Moons, I'd forgotten this guy's name. Oh, I don't yeah. know if they even, do they like even say No, they do, because I remember, like, Moons, that's a funny name. <laughs> I like that. Uh, he arrives and barges into the hotel room seeking revenge, mm. but here's where you get, like, real... From this point on, I feel like his birth starts to become almost allegorical in a, in a way, where it's no longer about, like, here's two men, one man trying to arrest another man and get $200. Like, yeah. it starts to accelerate from here, where mm. Dan, like, will not let the vengeance happen because he... 
Yes. He's like, no, we agreed to do it this way. I'm not going to turn this guy over to get shot. He's going to face justice. There's a thing of like, I need my $200, but this also has to mean something. Now it's a principle thing. Yes. So in there, in uh, Dan's wrestling of uh, Bob Moons, it wakes up a guy who it just keeps cutting to. He's sleeping on the couch in the in the hotel and it's you know how uh, an old bum will be sitting in the the lobby of a hotel in these older movies with a newspaper draped over his face clearly sleeping off something yes uh, but it turns out that's Charlie who got shot in the hand earlier. Oh, shit. So this wakes him up, uh, and he hears the gunshots, and he's like, oh, you know what? That's probably my boss. <laughs> I see what's happening here. But I love this for the gang. The gang is so organized. They, like, yeah, they're send good. out satellite. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they got all their bases covered. Like, okay, well, we saw a stagecoach. It's very, like, well, sure, we saw a stagecoach. Doesn't mean that our guy is in it. So yeah. they go to all the nearby towns that a stagecoach could have reached in that time. Just just station there, check yeah. it out, see if anything crazy happens. And Charlie happens to be at this one, and he's like, aha, there gotcha. it is. All right. And I like that I, I had almost forgotten that the they do catch up with the decoy stagecoach, because it's not even important. They catch up with the, the gang catches up oh, with the decoy that's stagecoach. that's right. Stagecoach, but it doesn't factor in, because all it means is now Charlie has to get to... Yeah. That, the gang and bring him back. Now they know it's not here, yeah. so they just have other... Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, it's good. Things are accelerating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're closing in. Yeah. The uh, At this point, this, here's where I'm like, okay, guys, come on. What are you doing? The, the <laughs> local hands that uh, Butterfield had hired mm. are like, wait, you have been Wade? Like the, the gang? Scary the scary guy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> Yeah, well, this is exactly what Dan was doing at the beginning is like, this is none of my business. Mm -hmm. I'm not about to get shot over some guy who is not a part of my life. So we're left again with the original trio, Dan, Alex, and Butterfield. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Alex saves Dan from getting shot by an outlaw on the roof as the outlaws start arriving. Right. Uh, But Prince shoots him in the back and in one of the, like, this is just in my retinas forever, he... Not only does he shoot him in the back, that doesn't kill him right away. He hangs him from the chandelier in the hotel oh, right outside right. Yeah. the room. Just Yeah, uh, it's a real... Ugh. Brutal. Like, brutal black and white cinematography moment. Yes, it's very stark. This uh, is a real, like, oh, this is a scary gang. Here are Here is what they are prepared to do to you. Yeah, and yeah. It, it works. Butterfield is super horrified and says, you know what, I'll just give you the money. Let's go home. I don't care. I anymore. have insurance. I just remembered. <laughs> I can live. It's not worth it for spite. No. No. <laughs> it was up until this point. Yeah. yeah. Charlie <laughs> is really presented as kind of like a... Kind of an animal, too. Like, he yeah. has absolutely no human feelings about this. I always feel like he's very zealot-y, where it's like, mm. it's not like Wade as a godhead or anything like that, but there is a bit of a, like, anything he says is right. Like, yeah. yeah, he said to to rob the stagecoach, so I'm going to murder anyone who prevents us from robbing the stagecoach, is kind of, yeah. the, you know? He, you need to keep that under control. Yeah. He's a God. dangerous lieutenant. Very much so. Yes. Um... So uh, Dan doesn't like the idea of cutting and running. Um, he's so bought in by oh, now. So bought <laughs> what in. What are you going to do? So he's just like, no, screw you. I'm doing this for me. But uh, please give me the money still. Yeah. <laughs> I'll send you $100. <laughs> Meanwhile, his wife arrives and also asks her uh, asks Dan to like change your mind. Come home with me. Yeah, she's shouting just... from the street into their, into their hotel window like, come on, Dan. We can try eating sand. It'll yeah. probably work. <laughs> We probably will only have to eat one of the kids. Yeah. Yep. Oh, and I don't know if I mentioned, yeah, you mentioned that this is all during drought time. So it's yes. 
real desperate kind of thing going on here. Um, yeah, but this this is the the fun. This is watching Dan's thing morph from I'm gonna get two hundred dollars. I'm mm. not personally involved into like this is the only thing that will give my life meaning. Yeah, which the the conversation he has with Alice at this point about mm. like this is important for money, yes, but like what do what do like our sons? What will they think if I leave now? Like, what example am I setting? Yeah, which is such a like. So often, not only westerns, anything where there's a like. I must do it for my kids. It's always this, like, I'll be a hero, and then the kids love it after. But to actually come at it from the motivation of, I need to do something that my kids can be proud of and have a good example set that's not violent. Yeah, yeah, is... true. Like, I'm I'm going to be brave in a way that isn't, like, self-sacrificing exactly. Yeah. It's not this, like, yeah, guns blazing kind of brave. Yeah. It's just... Yeah, sticking sticking it out when no one else will. Yeah, you know, like showing that principles do exist is basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because let's face it, not very many to go around at this point in time in this part of the world. No. Yeah. Uh, so with that in mind, Dan, here's the train a coming. I believe yeah. at this point, and we're uh, that train's on time. Watching the clock very carefully, and I think the exact amount of time elopes or elopes elapses. Elapses. Yeah. <laughs> They elope. It's so nice. Spoiler: They they're, get married. Yeah, their their budding friendship turned to love. It, it's it's a stressful time. You got a tense situation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, the, I, elapses. I think from when they arrive in town until the train comes. Yeah. Whenever anyone from the time someone says like, "Oh, it'll be here in one hour or whatever," an hour goes by. And then the train arrives. Yeah. Love, love that, that shit. So Dan, uh, with the gang, like, all on rooftops, ready to cut them down. Yeah, this is like a video game level <laughs> where you're fucked. Like, you have to hand the controller over to your older brother <laughs> level <laughs> difficulty. Uh, yeah, Dan just is ducking and weaving through the town, because, like, yeah. they're in the hotel on the other side of town, which mm-hmm. is maybe not a great choice. Guys, come on, yeah. But it's probably the only choice they had, really. Yeah. They scoot across town. But, Ducking uh, into buildings, they go over a couple of rooftops, they find yeah. a way, like, over the buildings that doesn't involve being seen from the street, and, mm-hmm. like, Dan is having a pretty, or, um, Ben is having a pretty good time. He's, like, into it. Yeah. He's like, oh my god, this guy's gonna get me to the train. Yeah, I think he's gonna do it. <laughs> he's bought into it. Yeah. And I love that, like, this is the end point, this is, like, the full arc of when he tries to bribe him in the first place, like, wait, I have to test all of your principles. And like, yes. You yeah. got them all right, so I gotta yeah. go along oh, with them. fuck, all right. <laughs> Can't argue with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they reach the train, the train station. and They uh, reach the station. Oh, yes, yes. the yeah. station. And uh, we get a nice standoff. Not Mexican, just regular. Regular standoff. Uh, They've been picking off gang members, yes. but there's still a shit ton of yeah, them. Yeah, because I think they start with like 40 or 50 people, right? It's it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the odds are impossible. Yeah. Uh, Charlie is the one to confront them. He shouts for Wade to drop down so he can shoot Dan, but instead Wade tells Dan to jump into the passing car uh, and they leap to safety together. They're handcuffed together, yep. right? Is that the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love this moment so much where Ben is like, no, fuck it. This guy's cool. <laughs> Charlie sucks. Yeah, he really, because Dan then shoots Charlie dead. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. Is that in the book or that's, that was like a decision mm. they made on the fly or something, wasn't it? I don't know that, actually. Oh, maybe I'm yeah. just making that up, but. I don't, I, this is one where I didn't look at the short story, actually. So I'm Okay, sure. fair yeah. enough. If only I knew. 
and uh, Dan is really like, why, why did you arrest yourself? Yeah, you played yourself, dude. <laughs> but Wade explains that he owed Dan a favor for saving his life earlier by saving him from the stagecoach driver. Uh, there's the unspoken respect bit lying under there. Yes. Um, but then he just says, like, ah, I've broken out of Yuma before. It doesn't matter. Yeah, he also doesn't give a shit that he's going to jail. It's so good. But it, important to Dan, he will be able to claim his reward honestly. Yes, that's part of the, the plan, too. And yeah. then in big-ass metaphor country, we get Alice going home to a huge rainfall coming down and breaking the drought. Yes. And that's our end. Yay. Yay. <laughs> they truly caught the 310 to human. <laughs> that's not a metaphor. They literally <laughs> catch the train. <laughs> the most effort anyone has ever gone through to catch a train. Oh my god. I, is it in cinematic history, possibly? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> this is uh. one of my favorite westerns. Mm-hmm. It's so great. I'm a big fan of all the... It does such a good job of taking all the huge thematic stuff and making it actually be important to two people. Yes, yeah. yeah. Instead of just like, I'm telling you this is an important theme or whatever. It's, it's very... You really get the actual on the ground impact of yeah. the way people had to live their lives back then. Yeah, like you get. It's not just about principles, and it's not just about gritty real living. It's yeah. it's that those two things actually do intersect, and here's the fallout. Yeah, and yeah. humans are different, and they can react in different ways, and like people are complicated. <laughs> The movie. The movie. <laughs> About a, a, a train schedule. Yeah, but also a train. Yeah. I know this this one's this one's definitely one of my faves. I, I enjoyed it so much when I first watched it because it was so like tense and it comes together and there's a real like boiling point mm-hmm. kind of aspect to it where you're like, This guy hasn't cracked yet. There's no What's reason he it? shouldn't have cracked. It kind of is, yeah. yeah. What's what would be the most heartbreaking place for him to crack? And, like, go back on his word. And, and he fucking never does. Nope. It's so great. And I don't... Here's where it's movie magic. Because that could so <laughs> easily be a, like, oh, the hero's infallible. Uh, yeah, uh. But it <laughs> actually... <laughs> that's what the sound of a Were you doing? Yeah. Yeah, that it, it, like, it really is amazing that it feels like a struggle. Yes. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. You're never... It the first time watching it is so like you have no idea who's gonna break first. Mm. Is Ben just gonna up and murder this guy? Is Dan going to lose his shit and just like execute Ben for being a shithead to him? Like I know we'll talk about this in a bit, but it does such a good like I love Dan's character of like. You don't like him. He is not a no, likable he's, person. he's unlikable. And Van Heflin just like, isn't that what he got famous for? Was just being kind of <laughs> shitty a, dudes. A little dweeb. Who's like doing the quote unquote right thing. But you're like, I don't want you to. I like Stop this. it. He's got a very, yeah, He's he hasn't got like a, I'm so sorry, Van Van. He's not got, like, a movie star face. He doesn't look handsome in that way of, like, this is our rugged hero. He's just a fucking guy. Yeah. And originally, Glenn Ford, who plays Wade in this, was going to be Dan Evans. Oh, really? But he was like, no, I should be the charismatic cool guy. Get somebody else for the (laughs) wiener loser. I want to be the cool guy. It's so funny to me, too, that the the remake of this cast, who is it? It's Russell Crowe as the charismatic cool, like, antagonist essentially and then christian bale as as dan evans as the like wiener like i'm trying i'm just i'm not likable for some reason (laughs) 
like a very handsome man, but not in a, when you compare him to Russell Crowe, you're like, this guy's fucking cool. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> definitely the cooler dude. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I, I really can't think of a, like until we get into spaghetti Westerns, it's, it's mm. hard to find an example of like, the bad guy is is so much cooler not just on his own but that like you prefer him as a person to the the protagonist like he's more respectful to people than dan is yes yeah totally yeah full stop he's less of a shithead it's so fun just like shithead protagonist time i I love that yeah like clearly him and the the bar woman who he spends time mm, with. Yes. They, like, clearly are infatuated with each other. It's very yeah. sweet. Whereas Dan and Alice are just kind of like, we've got this family. We're going to make We're it work. stuck here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's a That's little, great. oh, maybe I'm mixing it up with the remake. But isn't there a bit of, like, you know, Ben asks Alice when they he has to stay overnight. He asks her about, her like, her past and, like, how did you, how did you get here? What did you do for a living? You know. Yeah, I think it's in both. It is in both, yeah. yeah. And it's just very, like... He's so good at, like, connecting with people, mm. and, yeah, it's just such a charming character. The only thing I remember specifically from this one is that uh, Wade says to Alice, like, I love your eyes, like, they remind me of the sea. Like, he gets very yes, poetical, yes. and it's really like, oh, 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 oh hello. Benjamin. <laughs> Period appropriate, she's getting the vapors. <laughs> Literally fans herself. <laughs> yeah, it's very cute. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a fun reversal. I like mm-hmm. it a lot. Of it's like great. before, maybe the bad guy was cool, but the yeah. good guy was like strong jawed and heroic, and not this time, baby. <laughs> I know there has to be other examples, but there this is the be, earliest but... thing that I can think of that has that pulls that off so well. Of like, Perfect here's a casting. bad guy yeah. who's charismatic. That's not actually that bad of a guy. And here's a good guy who's uncharismatic and actually not that good of a guy. Yeah, yeah. he's mostly doing it so he doesn't die. And it's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's good shit. Good template. Yeah. And it's no wonder they remade it. And I like, I don't dislike the remake. I just like the original more. Yeah, same. Yeah. So I wanted to mention one thing on this whole movie. (laughs) I like that you did a motion with your hand like I wasn't familiar with the concept of movie. (laughs) Do go on. Uh, So this is from a time where you got ballads at the top. You got people singing about the title theme. Oh, yeah. So we have the the Ballad of Three Ten Yuma. Oh, yeah, that's right. God damn, I forgot about that. Is this a Frankie Lane thing? Frankie Lane thing. Frankie Lane. Aaron's aware of Frankie Lane. I'm not very. Uh, (laughs) I'm familiar with some of his work. But he was a big, huge, I'm going to sing your Western ballad. Yes. Over the opening credits guy. Yeah. I feel like this must be such a, like... It used to, westerns used to be so pulpy and, mm. and you know, some of them were serialized. I don't know. Yeah. You had to have, like, a, a theme song to kind of pull the movie together. And it was a lot of, for whatever reason, it's Columbia did it more than most of the others because oh. Columbia would then, like, release a record of, here's the ten best western themes. Yeah. And Merchandising. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> Whatever the closest to that is. Yeah. yeah. God, that's so funny. And he's he's really like it's he's a very like deep voiced guy and yeah, like like very emotive singer. Yes. It's very over the top now. Like it's oh, yeah. very cheesy and pulpy now, but yeah, it's it's of grand old tradition. Yeah. And he's like the pinnacle of this this thing. He quite was quite often very good. Like yeah. the songs are super catchy and like very intense. Yeah. They are. Uh and there's a little bit of history to, to this one here. Oh. Uh, I do want to mention, just before I forget, a very cute um, 
there's a bit of diegetic music in here where uh, Ben Wade whistles the theme song while he's just like idly putting about. Oh. Uh, diegetic, for those that don't know the definition of diegetic, that's music that's occurring in the movie that the characters are all aware of. So like, yes, like someone turns on the radio in the movie yeah. and the music comes out as diegetic music. So Wade whistles the theme song that's sung over <laughs> the opening credits. I remember cute. him doing a whistle as like a signal to the, yep. he whistles the theme yep. song, you fucking dorks. <laughs> I love that. I love that shit. It's so good. Because <laughs> it's not even that recognizable because he's not that good of a whistler. No. No, it is not. Uh, but it's catchy. It is it's catchy. really cute. All right. So, but the main reason I want to bring up Frankie Lane here is yeah. because it's an excuse to talk about him. Because he's one of the yep. reasons uh, that soundtrack history goes the way it goes. Oh, gracious. He is resp- right. one of a few people that's very responsible for soundtracks when we think of soundtracks. Okay. Um... Which is weird considering he didn't write music, he didn't arrange music, he just performed music. He just sang it? Yeah. Okay. So he only really did uh, covers of things okay. or things that were written for him. Uh, he's a jazz singer, which I found oh, okay. interesting. But like, I guess he's, I can see that. He's a bluesy folk jazz singer. Yeah. Yeah. So he, got, uh, he started out singing in clubs and most people knew him. And this is what he's most known for today still. The version of Dream a Little Dream of Me that most people know that's like an old-timey version, that's him singing. Oh. Aw. I love that song. So if you're hearing it in your head right now, you're probably hearing Frankie Lane's voice. Uh, Columbia noticed his charting hit Mule Train, which was an Old West ditty. Didn't have anything to do with a a, a movie. He just recorded an Old West ditty because the 50s are weird. We were so starved for entertainment. (laughs) It was just droughts and your leg falling off. You needed something. So that was early 50s and Columbia was like, hey, sign this guy up to sing every Western theme song. Uh, And then he did. (laughs) And he did that. Okay. (laughs) So he was known for his emotional singing style with an orchestra backing him mm, as opposed to like sure. a band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Very sweeping and like grandiose. Yes, but it's all of its like harmonic language and stuff. It's lived in a blues style as opposed to like an orchestral style. So okay. it's really like a verse chorus kind of thing where lots of repetition and sure. easy chord structures, but then the orchestra gets to fiddle around in there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. It's fine. Um one thing that I think is great, I actually haven't seen Blazing Saddles, but he sings the theme song oh. to Blazing Saddles, unaware that he was called in to parody himself because he oh. didn't realize it was a joke. He just came in and sang <laughs> the lyrics with full earnestness. That's how you get the joke done. Exactly. Um, <laughs> oh, do you think he felt bad when he found out? I, I don't feel think like he really about. even knew. He like, was told after, he was like, whatever, I got a All paycheck. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I got paid. Fuck you. Which is oh, I'm such a joke. Who's holding the check, yeah, Barbara? That's a real like you know you're a gigging musician when you, when you hit that point. Like I don't give a shit. Who cares? It was like two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, that's funny. But as I mentioned, he just performed. Uh, he did covers of songs. Okay. Everything he was famous for was a cover of a song or something that somebody else wrote for him. Okay. So. Who was doing the writing, you ask? I do ask. Who was doing the writing? Thank you for asking. Uh, Through the 50s, he was a hit machine, just like churning them out like crazy. All of his albums were huge, huge number ones, uh, be it either uh, collections of movie songs he sung or original jazz stuff. Okay. He, because of the ground he was covering, he required a really versatile arranger and band leader. Oh, I bet, yeah. He to do both. Yeah. Um, So his, like, the things he was searching for uh, in the early 50s was somebody who knew jazz and blues harmonic language, but had a classical knowledge so they knew how to write for an orchestra. Yeah. And they knew how to make arrangements unique to Frankie's style. Meanwhile, they could also conduct the band. 
Sure. So it's not wildly out there to need that much back in the... That's just... No, but that's... a that's Yeah. I guess you, you have, like, dance hall orchestras and stuff. Yeah. Like, it's not unheard of to have an orchestra doing blues or, yeah. or, or jazz or... Yeah. But the, okay. the specialization in each of those was specific enough that it took a mm. little bit of, of finding. So he picked up a recent... Uh, of that time. Juilliard graduate. Uh, he's a jazz pianist named Little Johnny Love. Oh my god. So no, he wasn't, but all right. <laughs> uh, Johnny Love, uh, he had been drafted in the 50s uh, and spent all of wartime or army time. I don't know what the US was up to then. Probably uh, Probably war. Uh, he, Korea. Oh, yeah, okay. So instead of being there, he was conducting and arranging music for the US Air Force Band for years. So he oh, got okay. like really into it yeah uh he also wrote original jazz tunes had orchestral competitions and he had by the time frankie picked him up he had done some music for some 50s b movies <laughs> uh so he was like frankie's like yes this guy perfect somehow yeah. this guy exists uh and i don't know which one of these came first but he he also worked with henry henry mancini who oh, was nice. a big scorer back in the day he was pink panther yeah so he was mancini's like chief arranger and oh, also band leader cool. that okay um, Johnny Love. So he, little Johnny Love, worked as uh, Frankie's band leader, arranger, and more often than not, pianist for the late fifties and early sixties. Yeah. Um, he also scored, uh, or he didn't score. He performed piano on some Billy Wilder movies. So if you know the Apartment, <laughs> okay. uh, some like it hot. He, the piano you're hearing is oh, a little Johnny Love. Oh, cute! All right, um, jazz is like such a big part of some like it hot. I like that. Yeah, and that's. Uh, what he's doing all through the 50s and 60s he's also doing like really small tv jobs but okay. frankie's work is what gets him noticed and in the late 60s little johnny love starts getting his like a-list composition gigs based off of the success of frankie's albums <laughs> okay uh and when sure. he started getting his 60s fame and success he decided he needed to go by his actual name little johnny love is a stage name so he started going by john williams oh fuck you <laughs> fuck you for that <laughs> So this movie was one of the stepping stones to John Williams, the famed composer of... Shut no. your mouth. So if you didn't... Yeah, John Williams is a... He's a jazz guy, first and foremost, um, who happens I to get orchestral that, but... yeah, stuff in there. Uh, oh, when you said B-movies, I really should have cleared into... Okay. Yeah. So John Williams' first gigs are... He's sometimes no titled as Johnny Williams, but he it's all just jazz stuff that he's playing on because that's what he knew that's what he did okay so i was right that it's not his real name <laughs> i also didn't know he went to juilliard yeah there we go and he worked oh. with the air force yeah i don't think i knew that either <laughs> that is so funny yeah so that's all i wanted to tell you about on this one today wow yeah i will be coming back to that <laughs> um okay. i'm ready to field any questions <laughs> um <laughs> nope <laughs> No, you're not. And no, I'm not. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's so funny. I really, like, I love that you could just have a whole, that's two careers. Yeah. And then several that's more careers career. as yeah. a, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because, like, okay, you just do covers. You yeah. could just, in the 50s, you could just get away with doing covers. Do we have that nowadays? Mm, I, I don't know. Un unless it's like a gimmick or a shtick of some kind. I think you, you get really... famous and then you do covers, not do covers and then get famous, right? Maybe. Yeah. I just because I don't I don't know any, but it doesn't seem like a tenable yeah. path to to a career. I and don't like know. the way that Frankie found him was they were playing the same club. And yeah, they yeah. just got to talking and then 
Star Wars happened. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then immediately, Star Wars. That's so funny. I love that the idea of like, okay, the guy who sings all the cheesy ass Western songs, let's make you in charge of the space opera. Cool. <laughs> I know there was other stuff. I'm. <laughs> Your mouth opened like you were going to be like, actually, Aaron, that's not true. <laughs> I know. But just John Williams more versatile than many know. Indeed. Yeah. Well, thank you, Frankie. That's great. Okay. Thanks, Franks. So with that, it's time again to revisit our segment that we introduced last week. If this is one of the first westerns you're checking out, then this might be your first rodeo. <laughs> you don't have to do the music every time if you don't want to. <laughs> we'll let that horse in here. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, yes it is. So we talked all at length last <laughs> week about like the arc of westerns. Mm-hmm. So we got a lot of that stuff up front, so... Hopefully you will recall when I talk about the idea of revisionist westerns and how they were trying almost to be reclaimed as like, don't worry, kids, like it's still cool to like westerns, like not (laughs) not in that very pandering way necessarily, but genuinely in the like, okay, well, we're far away enough now that you don't have to constantly kiss the ass of like people who are really like America was built on the front like that those you know you don't have to pay lip service to that all the time it's okay people will pay to you know like Korea is happening like we're not quite there yet but people are shall we say disillusioned um publicly and like it's starting to come out in art and cinema is a relatively recent art form it's had what 40 50 years at this point so it's not (laughs) it's not been around for a while but the idea of saying like yeah sure people were were probably trying their best Hmm. but sometimes it either didn't work or they weren't (laughs) or they just weren't or no yeah like they that not everyone is a paragon of virtue yeah (laughs) this is more way back in the day but when the newly created territories and things Mm. were trying to get settlers to come over and like take over the land and set up shop they would send back these postcards of like fields of golden wheat waving (laughs) in the wind and like the blue skies and the rolling hills and like one perfectly plump cow and like (laughs) and then you'd get there and the ground is frozen solid most of you would die before, yeah. like, at, during the first winter or two. Yeah. I think it was something like you'd have to, most people did die during the first two years of yeah. settling there. because the winters, right? The winters wipe people out because they didn't know. Yeah. And they don't know what to grow. They don't know how to take care cows. of the land. You plant them and watch them. I don't know. I just walk away and then I come back and there's more. <laughs> um yeah, so people were not, you know, so this there there was tons of like propaganda essentially yeah. out there about and that and that was really baked into the idea of having America was mm. it's been so idyllic and so there was now we can move past that, you know. <laughs> we can start putting out art that says like we're all so familiar with this idea of mm. the golden, you know, the harvest and the the land of the free blah blah blah. You can you can start playing against that, and everyone yeah. will know what you're doing because it's so baked into your your experience. You know, being brought up as a citizen of the United States, like it's in your DNA. And I feel like this is where I got. I whenever I'd hear the term revisionist Western, I'd get hemmed up because I'm. I watch these, and I'm like, oh, that's probably closer to what. Sure. It actually was like then the classic western that is going on. Oh, definitely. This yeah. Postcard bullshit. So yeah. it's not. 
is not revising history. It's revising classic the presentation. Westerns. Yes, yeah. yes, sorry. Yeah, so it's, it's not very, re- like... <laughs> it sounds backwards, right? Yeah, where revisionist history yeah. is where you don't say what happened. Revisionist <laughs> Westerns are where you you say, sorry, we fucked up with the original Westerns. Yeah. Here's what it actually was. Yes, and the, fair point. A thing that helped unlock it for me was... Um, seeing people describe a lot of, not always, but revisionist westerns as western noirs. Sure. Where it's yeah. like a lot of the same themes get played around. With and them. the exa- the timing is right, too, because mm. the classic westerns happened in like the 20s and early 30s. The noir in the 40s, 50s is exactly when revisionist westerns are happening. Yeah. So people are starting to get more on board with like moral ambiguity and there's <laughs> not a clear good guy, bad guy, or your your motives aren't clear until the end rolls around and the yeah. t- you know final twist or whatever and it that, is. And like, at the end... Your character might be somewhat changed, but the circumstances are still oppressive as hell. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Like, nothing gets solved in, yeah. in these revisionist westerns, right? Like, maybe someone who deserves it dies, yeah. but maybe someone who doesn't deserve it also dies. There's no, there's no like, justice, capital J, in these things. Yeah. There's only personal small victories, if that. <laughs> and I think that's that's a classic alignment with West, or with um, noirs, right? Is, is the, like, the system that sucks and produced this bad you know, set of circumstances still exists. But the individuals that you've met might have learned to adjust better or live within yeah. it happier or whatever. Yeah, yeah, or they were just ground down to a fine powder. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Either one. So, yeah, these are. this is a great example of that because <laughs> the movie literally ends on like, yeah, Dan does what he set out to do. He mm. gets Ben onto this train. <laughs> the movie ends with Ben being like, don't worry, I will break out of jail it, yeah, immediately. Everything you've done is for It nothing. doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. We're, the yeah. system is still that this guy might even get out on like parole or whatever it is. But the stakes <sighs> become they're all this internalized um, thing versus totally. I need to save the town. It's like, no, I need to save my, my soul. <laughs> yeah. Or, like, repair my marriage a little bit yeah. or whatever. Like, I need my wife make, to like me. Yeah, make my kids stop bullying <laughs> me. So it's it's a very, like, you know, the, the revisionist Western is such fertile soil for mm. an unlikable protagonist yeah. or a, a protagonist who is not a hero, not yeah. heroic, doesn't have to be liberated from the shackles of having to be presented as good, <laughs> you know? Um, and I think the casting is just such, like, oh, so oh man... Fucking Glenn Ford had amazing instincts being yeah. like, no, 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 no. Make the Weasley guy. The, um, Glenn Ford is Canadian also. I don't oh, know if yay. you knew that. Yay. We He's... always like to point that out on yes. our Canadian podcast. Da, 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 da. Um, Canada's <laughs> fake. Just kidding. Yep. Um, so it's, it's, and it's a classic, like, we all enjoy movies where the bad guy is the likable one. Oh, yeah. This is that. This is where you're allowed to be like, just because he does bad things... Okay, I'm going to say this sentence. Doesn't make him a bad person. But like... Doesn't make him an unlikable person. Yeah. Yeah. You can be charming and you can still operate perfectly well in this system because the system sucks ass. (laughs) Like the idea that you just put your your life on the line for a stagecoach where if you die, they still get the insurance money. That's a bad system. I'm just going to throw it out there. (laughs) That sets you up for failure. So this is all to say, if you're like me, like I can't remember exactly what you showed me that got me fully into Westerns, Mm. but revisionist Westerns definitely greased the wheels a lot. I feel like it must be like, oh, they... Know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they exactly. understand. Oh, got it, got it, got when it. When you watch a yeah. classic Western, you're like, nobody gets Seriously, that this guys? Is <laughs> Hokey bad as in, fuck. Like, every possible way. Yeah. Like, the, the art, you know, 
the ability, the technical ability of, mm. like, you know, John Ford is a fucking master. Yeah, yeah. Like, introduced just the, the idea of location. <laughs> just, uh, some of the purest work in the field. Um, but John Wayne exists, so who's <laughs> to say if that was ultimately good or bad? Here's the, it's exactly that thing. It can't be a whole good. Exactly. Yeah, there's no <laughs> such thing as pure good or bad. And yeah. I, I, it's such a hokey thing to say now because revisionist helped, westerns yeah. exist. Yes. It's what helped get us there. Exactly. So it feels really and and this this not only is such a good example of like don't worry like he's mostly good but he you genuinely do not know right down to the last 5 minutes of the movie who's going to go what way. Yeah. And that's the best part of like you're saying moral ambiguity stuff is hokey now, but yeah. I think the reason it's hokey now is because even though that's there, you still know what's going to happen. You still know how the formula is going to play out. Like if you take yes. something like the, yeah. the guy with the tragic backstory is going to make good. Like you, you know all of that yeah. watching a movie now. Back then, not only did you not know it, the formula wasn't established yet. So The it's idea in, that it would be questioned is, yeah. was still fresh and crazy. So it's being shot in such a unique way. And, like, constructed in such a unique way that, like, it's not giving you the hints that you're used to getting. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. A, a technical piece that I really enjoy that I think fits in really well is, um, oh, the cinematographer um, mm. had a lot of... Do you want to look it up for me? Because I genuinely think he deserves credit for this. Yes. Um, he... This this is a black and white western, and it like it didn't have to be, but they wanted to shoot it this way because of the... Just the... I can't remember who said, you know, shooting shooting in black and white, you actually have to shoot the picture. Color does all the work for you. <laughs> I think you. that was John Ford. Was it John Ford? That so. makes sense yeah. to me. Yeah. Like, you got to know what you're doing in black and white to make it look good and be, like, emotionally resonant. Mm. Like, you can't let the pretty colors do the work for you. <laughs> um, and this guy? Uh, Charles Lawton Jr. Not, 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 uh, <laughs> 9 100 Charles Lawton. Okay. Spelled differently. L-A-W-T-O-N. Oh, great. Okay, yeah. Lawton Jr. All right. I just had a short <laughs> stroke there. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, speaking of a black and white masterpiece that didn't have to be black and white. That's right. a weird coincidence, and now I'm really thrown off. No, it's fine. It's fine. Um, so Lawton Jr. shot this by putting a red filter which you could not perceive because it's not being shot in yeah. color on the on the the lens and it lends the you're not just shooting in black and white where kind of it's you know those movies from like earlier for sure but like too crisp and you lose mm. definition sometimes if you're just this red brings such depth and importantly grayscale to the picture That's right, yeah. and so the the draught is really like it's in relief like you can see every pockmark on the ground where the crops are supposed to be growing yeah. you know it really affects the way that like the dustiness that you feel and like the the hardship of living on the farm and like how you know gross everyone looks in the hotel <laughs> yeah and, it like, really does look different from every other black and white movie for because like yeah this is done at a time when most people were shooting in color anyway and then yeah you know that technique can get used but it's not the regular it's like this new thing that like yes a new just way. for a little blip yeah <laughs> to see it. it's just such a cool i love that as a that's such a perfect fusion of like this is the actual like message this mm. is the artistic vision and then this technical thing that like hadn't been done and so he just he went for it yeah there's also um i think he invented a certain kind of boom that's what i'm looking up yeah yeah um. where the essentially like a crane shot like the last shot of the movie is alice you know walking home after leaving the and and finding out that her husband did it he got he got bent on the train and 
the heavens open and the rain starts to pour down and the camera lifts away from Alice kind of into the sky mm. and it's this very like look at the land you know the land has provided like some things go right sometimes feeling um, whereas before using this this sort of crane shot thing was it's like you're looking down on these little ants that have yeah. no control over their lives you know really yeah pushing home that thing of like look how tiny and insignificant, insignificant you are but exactly. that was uh, it wasn't the cinematography it was Delmer Daves, the oh, director. Oh, sorry, it was the director. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great, great. So that's like a pioneering thing that's used constantly now. Yeah. 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 Made up for that. Which, which is... again, it's it seems so obvious now because we use it a ton. Yeah. For, for scale and like showing a perspective that is not, you would never encounter in your daily life, really, unless you are a helicopter <laughs> pilot. You know and what I, I mean? Oh, I am a helicopter Oh, pilot. yeah, I mean... <laughs> How are you hosting this uh, <laughs> podcast? This is oh, you cut out all the f- 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 yeah. f- 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 noises. So. I'm very good. You never really know. It's a really painstaking process for every episode. <laughs> anyway, so this this is uh, if this is your first rodeo, three ten to Yuma, Yuma is a great revisionist western. Mm-hmm. It's not too bleak. You have a good time. The tension is released at the end, mm-hmm. but it's so like it grabs you and it draws you in, and it's it's morally interesting in a way that. Westerns that came before it are not. To, yeah. to my very humble opinion, that's they're they're just better. But I think that it's a great it is a great litmus test for revisionist westerns because sure. of everything yeah. you just laid out because it really does. Even if you're not aware of classic western tropes or the tropes that get established here that continue forward, it yeah. just works as a movie totally on its own, telling its own story without trying to impress anybody yeah. <laughs> or play by any particular rules, just by storytelling rules. Totally. Yeah. It's just a cool story. Yeah. yeah, it's both essentially of the the West, like the Old West, mm. and it could also be anything. Well, that will do it for this first rodeo. Uh, and now I've kind of gone through everything I wanted to say in my final thoughts on sure. this year movie. Do you have anything else you wanted to mention? I just think it's so cool that this is this is such a crystal clear example of like likable antagonist, mm. dislikable protagonist, <laughs> and how much fun that's been for us in movies through you know for the next seventy years or whatever it is. Yeah, I I really enjoy that. Um, that dichotomy and like presenting it that way for the first time in such a mm. role reversal it's so very great. cool the casting is perfect like well you're yeah. talking about the cinematography stuff of uh, seeing all the pockmarks in the desert it really highlights how craggly uh van heflin <laughs> van is Heflin's faces <laughs> yeah. yeah i think yeah i think he's even is he a redhead I think so, yeah. Yeah, he's just got, like, shouldn't be out in the sun (laughs) energy. It's hurting you, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) you're not meant to be here. But, yeah, Glenn Ford, very, like, comfortable on a horse. He's got the cool hat. He's so cool. He's so cool. I want to be just like Glenn Ford. (laughs) No, Nick, no! (laughs) That's exactly what everybody at the time would have been saying. There you go. Kids can't go see this movie. The pearls that must have been clutched. My goodness. (laughs) So, yeah, I I just think it's, like, that's that to me is the coolest part of the movie is the watching these two play off each other. Yeah, it's the best. Yeah. Uh, Great. Well, let's now take this movie and uh, either program a double bill or just recommend something if you enjoyed it. Yeah. Free to check out. Uh, Complete with a marquee title if we think of one. If we're double building it. Uh, so can you take us away there, Aaron? Oh, sure. Yeah, me first. So I'm I'm going to go with exactly what I just said. Um, the <laughs> Very good. <laughs> the, like, bad guy whom you love and is charming. Mm. The good guy that you're like, 
I know that you're the protagonist of this movie, but I want to sock your face. Um, and I'm going to program a very light piece of uh, media to go with it, which is The Emperor's New Groove uh. from 2000. <laughs> because one of our favorite, um, you know, he turns into a good guy kind of by the end. But um, Kronk, <laughs> our, our Patrick Warburton favorite animated role. Yep. Um, it totally steals the show. Great to watch. And the movies are a little bit similar structure, so it's kind of the same energy if you do want to double bill them. Um, It's a guy who's got to get somewhere, and they're both trying to get to the same place, but one of them is like, you're not sure if he's going to end up helping or hurting him, and uh, he ends up helping him at the end because of, like, personal morals yeah, personal like, values yeah, essentially the the valuation of principle yes <laughs> and the the protagonist kind of has to like complete a mission and become more likable in order to like reclaim his home which i think oh. is a funny little uh side note for yeah, that as well i like that yeah nice um and in the end none of the actual circumstances change because the ranchers still live in fear of not rain and uh there still appears to be a Monarchy with a stranglehold on the Aztec nation. But because of the personal changes that occurred, it's like just a slightly less bad. Yes, yeah, slightly <laughs> less unbearable. <laughs> yes. So if you want like a nice ah feeling Ooh. after watching this very tense movie, highly recommend putting those two together. They're quite short. You'll yeah, enjoy them. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Sweet. Well, I'm going to uh I'm taking a real like I'm leaning hard into Month with no name territory. If you're okay. if you're getting into this and you want to learn about westerns, here we go. My double bill is meant for you. Nice. Because there's uh, two of the biggest revisionist westerns in my mind are this, and I'm not recommending this one, but High Noon, which came much mm-hmm. earlier. Uh, Very bleak. A much oh, more so depressing much version yeah. of yeah. So if you liked this, but you want more depressing, check out High Noon. But that's not <laughs> what I'm talking about right okay, now. Fair. Uh, the reason I'm mentioning it is because High Noon made John Wayne furious. He hated it because he watched <laughs> it and he's like, "Oh, this is not. This isn't American westerns. They're this supposed isn't to be America. They're supposed to be like very black and white, uh, good and bad, and you know, it's all about the glory of the American West, not about." thinking about our feelings or whatever. <laughs> uh, and then this movie, 310 Yuma, super pissed off Howard Hawks, who had mostly the same reaction of, but Westerns aren't, Westerns are They're meant to, to, to like make you feel good about America. Yeah, so like this movie was pissing off grandpas left and right. Um, <laughs> Suck shit, grandpas. So they joined forces to uh, put out a movie a couple of years later that was meant to be like, we're getting back to classic Western oh, values God. and all that. And it's a movie that I think is very good but I still hate John Wayne. Uh, and it's a little movie called Rio Bravo from 1959. That's right. This is a hilariously late in the game, like, yeah. quote unquote, classic Western. Yeah. Where you're just like, guys, we've moved on. Yeah. But it's, but it's a good movie. It is a good movie. It's this unique fusion of they clearly are picking up on, okay, we need to make characters more interesting than... This is what people Swagger? have been going for. Yeah. So, yeah. So, like, Dean Martin is in there playing yeah. a recovering alcoholic who, like, Which... can barely get through a day. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, there's, like, a fucking sing-song scene where they're just hanging out. and It's because they had, like, a pop star, like, yeah. an up-and-coming handsome boy for the, the pop star Yeah, world. so they give him a song and, like, yeah. Dean Martin and John Wayne sing along. Which is so funny to me, too, because, like, the singing cowboys were their first, yes. was the, the genre's first attempt at going 
going into sound. Like, what if we had the cowboy sit on the porch and, and play his guitar? People were like, okay, this is good twice, and then they hated it. <laughs> There's a reason we don't talk about it today. But it's this really weird throwback taking revisionist stuff in it, too. Yeah. So it's this, this like, evolved classic really Western. Really trying to get with the times. And it's a movie that was created out of spite. So I think... <laughs> I have to respect that, quite respect honestly. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't hurt anyone. Got people some jobs. Yep. Uh, <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna call this double bill two Americas. <laughs> <laughs> the double America. Yep. I like that. Oh, um, that's funny. I'm that's seeing double a... here for Americas. <laughs> Simpsons reference. Take your pick, really. Yep. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, you were gonna say it. I just oh no, I just I just remembered. Um, if you're if you've seen. Uh, Hail Caesar, the Coen's movie. Yes, that's what I always think of whenever yeah, you bring up the singing Hubie. cowboys. Yeah, it's so funny. I watched that movie and I was like, oh yeah, I guess they're literally just making a, a singing cowboy movie. Yep. That's a real thing. That happened a lot. Yep. It Blast. sure did. Now I'm just thinking about I know, I guess. Alden Ehrenreich trying to so twer it twer it so easy. Or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's a real thing. Bless his heart. So that's a great go. double bill. I like that. Yeah, there you go. Wrapping some John Wayne grudgingly. <laughs> but this is the way I, I was saying them all about the month with no name. This is about finding the Western that's good for you. Fair. Yeah. Yes. You are presenting two sides of the coin. Yep. Two Americas, if you will. Thank you. You like how I stole your <laughs> name from you? <laughs> <laughs> homage, I just Nick, like hearing homage. another person say it. It's great. <laughs> it's what this podcast is for, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you repeating what I say. <laughs> Oh, no. Uh, and with that, we are firmly off the rails like a retired train. Aww. Uh, so. Just got sad at the was, idea of the train just sitting alone in the yard with no one to run. Choo. It was late. It wasn't and at 310, so it got <gasps> fired. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting so. Let's 310 wrap this to up Yuma, now. too. <laughs> this it's time, the, the train's home. sad. <laughs> <laughs> Let's please wrap this yes, up. Yes, okay. Uh, find us online at Garbage Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Find me online at Dick R. Navis on Twitter. Find me online at Macklebase on Twitter. Yes, and please rate and review us everywhere uh, on your podcast platform of choice. We appreciate it. Yes. Yes, and come on back next week to join us for another pile of Western Garbage. Howdy.